You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence. This is your pilot, John Lafferty, and I'm with Century 21 Town & Country. You can reach me at 248-652-8000 or by email at myrealestatepilot at gmail.com. And this is co-pilot Tony Abate with Ross Mortgage. I can be reached at 248-821-5411 or my email is T-A-B-A-T-E at RossMortgage.com. Tony, you've done a lot of you've been you you've done a lot of flying in your in your lifetime, right? And planes, <laughs> yeah. and I have as well. And uh, if you've ever been on a plane when it hits turbulence unexpectedly, it can certainly be unnerving. And, and of course, what you're looking for when you hit turbulence is a pilot or co-pilot to come on over the intercom, let you know what's going on. Um, but I've been on flights where that hasn't happened, and it's been pretty unnerving. Um, you know, you wonder what's going on. What what are we are we gonna uh, fly higher? Are we gonna flo- fly at a lower elevation? Are we gonna go around the turbulence where it's happening? And without any information, we don't know when the turbulence might end either. So, one of the things that uh, you can almost discern from that the lack of information is you've probably got a pilot and co-pilot up front that may be overwhelmed or have a lack of experience, or they're just darn afraid of saying the wrong thing <laughs> to us to, to freak everybody out who's on the plane. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that made me feel really good about uh, a flight was actually when the pilot came on ahead of time to let all of us know that we were looking at some turbulence ahead to buckle your seatbelt, get in your seats and stay there, and they were going to try to get around it, but we we're probably looking at 20 minutes or so of turbulence. And just Having pilots that are experienced enough and know how to tell people that, hey, we're anticipating this, it's, it might happen, be ready for it. Um, and that's what we do as your real estate pilots. We work to avoid turbulence for our clients, but when it's unavoidable – we won't go radio silent. Yeah, so important. I can deal with the pilot when they say, hey, we got turbulence ahead. I can't deal when there's no information at all. So our job is to be a real estate advocate, but it's also to make sure you're educated about the buying process. We'll keep you informed throughout until we get you safely to closing. Absolutely. So one of the things that I thought we would talk about today, um, saw recently a survey on – uh, bankrate.com. They did uh, uh, a poll, I guess, regarding buyer's remorse. And they polled millennials, they polled boomers, uh, Gen Xers. And one of the things that really jumped out in this, and I know that you saw it too, Tony, mm-hmm. was um, people aged 23 to 38 who bought a home, 63% of them experienced remorse. Right. Right. <laughs> and it was it was forty four percent for uh, just about everybody else together. Um, I, I found that shockingly high. Right. Um, and one of the things that had me curious was I, I wonder if that's just a, a problem in the United States or what about Canada? What about the millennials in Canada? Yeah. Do they feel the same way? And lo and behold, fifty percent of millennials in Canada had buyer's remorse. Uh, now, different situation there. Home prices are, are expensive there, in, in especially in the metropolitan areas. But um, but that's still a pretty high number. And uh, 
Tony, I know you saw this too. What were some of the most common reasons mentioned for experiencing this remorse? Yeah, that that was that really was a shocking report. You know, we're we're used to folks being you know, very happy and very excited about. Uh, um, uh, about uh, uh, their home purchase, but uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're, some of the some of the items that came up as far as the reasons for remorse is that uh, they relied too heavily on the pictures and video that was online. Um, yeah, their interest rate wasn't satisfactory. We're gonna, I think, we're gonna break these apart a little bit more uh, in detail. But uh, uh, they were surprised by the maintenance that had to be done and repairs. Uh, in the end, they may not have been satisfied with the location. Uh, it was a poor investment uh, in their mind. Uh, the home was too big or too small. It didn't hit their lifestyle needs. Uh, and the realtor, the lender, did not provide sufficient information. Th- these all kind of strike me as as somebody who really could have been better prepared uh, for the home purchase, and, and that's really what seemed to contribute to the remorse. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. It's um, it's it's one of our most important jobs. Mm-hmm when we are working with buyers is to educate them, right. um, not only on the lending side, but also on the purchase side mm-hmm. when you're the real estate agent. Uh, buying a home is, let's be honest, it's it's probably the largest purchase of their life at that point right. in time. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't you provide as much education for your clients as you possibly can? Uh, you, you're right. So, so – Let's break these down, each of these, talk about them a little bit, flush them out, and and see if we can't offer ways to our millennial buyers out there, millennial who are thinking about buying, and just people in general. Maybe some ways and, and tips that you can avoid remorse. So the first one uh, you brought up um, was purchasing a home – by looking at pictures and video <laughs> without actually physically going to the property. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding it on Zillow, looking at the pictures, looking at the video and deciding, I want to buy that house. Let's put an offer in. Um, and, and you know, <laughs> I can kind of understand that because the market that we've been in has been a little crazy for the last three years. It's really been a seller's market. And when you lose out on two, three, four, five homes – you can get a little antsy and uh, and so maybe something looks like the kind of house or maybe you're a busy person and and uh, you can't go out every day and look at a house uh, when it come, when it hits the market at five o'clock in the afternoon if you're a buyer and you're busy or you're a traveling buyer because of your your uh, occupation then maybe looking at pictures and video and sending your realtor out to do a walkthrough for you, Sounds like a good idea, and maybe in rare instances it might be a good idea, but generally speaking, it's not a good idea. Yeah, and you know, interesting. I think we're all becoming more and more hardwired to just doing our purchases based on what we see online in general, and so there's a comfort level with that. But um, one of the things that that I take away from that kind of thing is, uh, and John, I'd be interested to hear what you hear from buyers is when when a listing agent puts photos and videos online uh they're not going to put the mediocre stuff and and they're not going to show bad construction uh and they're not going to show poor uh floor plan layout they're they're going to show the things that'll help market it and sell it and is it safe to say that uh, a person's perception of a home when they look at it online and then their perception of the home when they get to the home is often very very different 
Yeah, yeah. It's um, you don't know how many times we've walked into a house with a buyer who's said, "I." Hey, John, can you can we add this one to the list? I want to take a look at this one. Pictures look great. Want to go take a look at it? Uh, and we show up, and they say, "Oh my God, this is nothing like the pictures <laughs> yeah. at all." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a nice kitchen, <laughs> so sometimes uh, you know the, the the kitchen has been uh, remodeled or upgraded and looks really nice, and so. On some of those houses, you'll have one picture of the exterior and 25 pictures of the kitchen and uh, and then maybe one of a bathroom and a bedroom and, and, uh, and of course, they're selling you the kitchen. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. But the rest of the house is not in good shape. So it, it's probably 50 percent of the time yeah. that, that we walk into a house and it looks nothing like it. And, of course, you can blame the realtor, uh, if especially if they're the ones that took the pictures. But if you have a photographer that you hire, and and a lot of the good realtors will hire a professional photographer to do their mm-hmm. pictures, um, it, one of the things that you have to instruct your photographer on, because of course they want to make everything look beautiful, sure. um, their work of art, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you have to be really firm with them on is, I want you to make the house look as good as it possibly can, but don't make it look better than it is. Sure, all it leads mm-hmm. to is disappointed buyers and and that's no fun because if you're a buyer's agent it's a waste of your time right right that's a good point and you know from a from a seller perspective if i'm selling my home uh i i i I want those pictures to show the home in the best light and and that's not unfair but it doesn't take the place of the physical visit of the home at all and i think that's what buyers need to understand that uh uh, you know that the pictures are a great starting point. The video is a great starting point, uh, but you just have to get out there with an experienced realtor. You know, I, I've never seen a photo of the basement leak, and I've never seen a photo of the of <laughs> the true. roof that's near the end of its useful life. So, and again, that's not that's not a seller being unfair. That's just that's just marketing, and these they're going to show the things that are going to pick a person's interest, and 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 hopefully at least get them out to the property. But when the decisions made just on the photos, I think uh, you know buyer is doing themselves a disservice. Yeah, and of course, um, one of the things that's happened too in this market that we've been in is this this feeling of I have to take some of my rights away as a buyer in order for the seller to take my offer. So for instance, I've come across a few out there, uh, especially when I've been on the listing side, where they remove their inspection contingency. We're mm. we're we're not going to make this purchase uh, contingent on our home inspection. Wow. We may do it for informational purposes for us as the buyer, but we're going to waive that. We're going to take that off the table, and that's a that's a big big mistake. Yeah. And um, you know that's you miss out on a lot of things that you may be aware of. And we're going to get into this uh, in a little bit about uh, repairs and maintenance. It's one of the things on here, but. A good inspector, when you're at the property, um, not only helps you discover things that are visible, but also things that aren't visible to the naked eye. Um, To jump back into this, though, (laughs) to avoid remorse, I I feel like it's it's tied to things you didn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things that if you don't go to the house to walk through to actually be there is – what if there was a smoker in the house? Oh, good point. Yeah. What if uh, they had five cats yeah. and one litter box? And we know what happens when that <laughs> happens. Uh, you know, 
Cats no just smell pick a corner. No, they just mm-hmm. pick a corner and go. Right. Um, and not to pick on cats, <laughs> but um, you know the smells associated with a house are really important. And if you don't know going in what a home actually smells like on the inside. Um, it could present a big issue because yeah. it may be costly to get rid of that smell. What if they had a grow room in the basement yeah. and um, and the whole basement stinks like that? Now, if you're going to have your own grow room, then you don't care. But, <laughs> right. but you know what I mean. Um, so – and one of the other things that uh, that I think is important with being in a house physically is what is – the outside sound like when you're inside. Oh, good point. What mm-hmm. noises can you hear from the outside, from your neighbor's house, from the main road? How close is it? Are there train tracks nearby? Mm-hmm. So those are all things that you discover when you're in a house, when you physically go to see a house. And also, what kind of sounds that house makes itself? Sure. When the wind blows, does the house creak? Um, when the furnace kicks on, is it loud? Does it squeak when it's running? How squeaky are the floors when you're walking yeah, over them? And, and how big of an issue is that going to be to fix? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are all things that that I think about and I certainly inform buyers that I work with to consider uh, and, and why I strongly discourage buying homes through pictures or video. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, – Another, the other one uh, on, well, number two on our list of tips for millennial buyers to avoid remorse is they seem to have this really um, big regret that somehow, some way, the lender screwed them. Yeah, <laughs> that they 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 pay too high of a rate, their payments too high monthly. Um, Joe at uh, Joe, the coworker, told them that hey, I just bought a house last week. What did you pay? What was your interest rate? Oh my God, you you got really hosed by that lender. <laughs> we we got our thirty year fix for this. So rates have been dropping a little bit since December right. and, and last fall. So how do you how do you give a buyer confidence that this is the best rate out there, um, with the understanding obviously that. Not a lender can't always get you the best rate because there are circumstances that determine what rate you can offer a particular buyer. Yeah. So, if you wouldn't mind getting into that, John, there's tons, and you know we're going to keep coming back to the theme of of you know, making sure the buyer is educated and prepared uh, for the process, and that that's just going to carve out a lot of the remorse. You know, uh, home buying is exciting; it, it's fun to talk about with coworkers and peers, and it's a fun thing for for coworkers and peers to be the armchair quarterback about too. Uh, I like to tell clients, you know, that you're going to get a lot of outside help from people who want to tell you how to spend your money. <laughs> And uh, rarely do they uh, do they know a hundred percent of the particulars that are going into uh, your transaction, and so um, you know they are going to be hard coded to kind of say, oh yeah, you could have done much better. You should have called my guy. Why did you pay this and so on? But the reality is is that everyone's buying circumstance is unique, 
and so many factors come into play uh, from a cost stand to, uh, uh, cost standpoint. Some internal and some external. And on the external side, what I'm talking about is is the market itself. It ebbs and flows. Uh, rates rise and fall. And usually, by the time it becomes a headline issue, it's after the fact. And so, um, uh, when you read the fact that uh, that uh, interest rates have fallen over the last ten days. They could very well be back on an upswing. Uh, they move in much the same way that stock market does, and uh, and a buyer needs to know that. And uh, you know, so that that's external forces that are going to put uh, maybe the interest rate that home buyer A got in a different place than the interest rate from home buyer B, who closed sixty days later. The other internal factors are very numerous, and so it's the type of property, condo versus a home. It's a person's credit score. It's the size of the down payment. Um, it's the size of the loan. These all come together to, to uh, kind of drive that rate and cost structure for a given buyer. And the best thing that a buyer can do is be educated on the topic because uh, it's not just about the lowest rate. Uh, if you get a super low rate, but you have to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get that low rate. And then just because of what's going on in your life, you know you're going to sell that home in five or six years. That low rate is not going to help you. You're not in the loan long enough to uh, to make the benefit or receive the benefit of that low rate. And so it really warrants dialogue with the lender to uh, look beyond the rate. You know, what are the costs associated with it? Uh, is it the right loan choice for you that's going to work best for for your purchase? Uh, how long are you going to be in the home? These are all so critical uh, in 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 the home purchase decision. And I think I think if a person has that education and and it's not so much the lender making the choices for them, but it's the lender giving the home buyer the tools so they can make the right choices. Uh, you know that can hopefully dilute some of that remorse that they might have when everybody else is critiquing their choices uh, when they purchase that home. So just to flush that out a little bit, so what you're saying essentially is, um, in particular, when you mentioned um, you know being able to buy down uh, a rate. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that. Um, today's rate is 4.75 mm-hmm. and uh, lender B over here is advertising a rate of 4.5 or 4.375 mm-hmm. uh, and and your, a buyer comes to you and says, I, I want you to match that rate. Well, you can, but here's how many points you're going to have to buy down. Right. And this is, the, this is the fine print at the bottom of the sheet, right? Yes. That mm-hmm. that's with two points or that's with this many points or that's with this much of a cost up front to you, Mr. Buyer. So essentially what you're saying is we can do that. But what I'm going to do with the buyer is sit down and say, okay, so here's how much you're going to pay to buy down these points. Mm-hmm. Let's roll that out over the next 30 years, 15 years and see where it makes sense. Where's your break-even exactly. point? Is it five years that you recoup that and now you start making money? Where are you going to be in five years? Are you going to be in this home if if this is a starter home for you? Right. Are you planning on selling in five years? Maybe buying down points doesn't make sense. So that's essentially the discussion that you're having with them. Again, going back to education and and giving them a sense of empowerment that their decision that they're making is the right one for them. 
Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, John. And uh, you know, none of the above is necessarily a poor choice for a home buyer, uh, paying extra points to get a lower rate or not paying points in exchange for a higher rate. The goal is, is it the right fit for the home buyer at the time? And, and you know, th- this conversation can sometimes get really, really complicated. But at the end of the day, uh, the question that I encourage home buyers to ask is, what's the best use of your money right now uh, related to this home purchase? Maybe a person uh, could buy points and get the lower interest rate. Now, it's money out of pocket to get that lower interest rate. If they then have to turn to credit cards and other financing types to buy furniture or or, or do uh, some sort of, of rehab to the home that was on their mind, well, now the whole thing has been counterproductive. You know, they, they got a lower rate on the mortgage uh, by maybe a half percent, but then they're financing furniture and, and, and other upgrades to the tune of 10, 15, 20 percent. And uh, so it, it's, 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 it's some dialogue that says, what are we trying to accomplish here? What's most important to you? How much money do we have to work with? And is, is spending a certain amount of money the, the best use of your money at the time? Um, it, it's, our industry does a little bit of a disservice uh, to home buyers. We put that interest rate out there in a giant font uh, with flashing lights, and the lower the better. And then, John, to your point, you scroll down to that fine print at the very bottom, and you find out that it's going to cost thousands of thousands of extra dollars uh, just to get to that low rate. And sometimes when you put the payment side by side, here's the payment at four and three quarters, and here's the payment at four and a quarter, it's kind of anticlimactic. It may not be as, as much of a drop as you think, but that money's been spent on the points, and, and you hit the nail on the head. It's all about the break-even. Um, you know, getting that low interest rate is important. Um, it comes at a cost. Uh, points are an investment. And you know, let, let's talk about any investment. It, it's no fun to make an investment if all you're going to do is break even. You want to come out ahead. And so that person who's going to buy down that interest rate uh, by paying points on their mortgage. Uh, and by the way, one point is equal to 1% of your loan amount. So you borrow $200,000. It costs $2,000 added to your closing costs. And in exchange, you get that lower interest rate. You want that investment to to go beyond the cost of the points. And how does that happen? You got to be there a long time. And if this is a forever home, you may very well come out ahead, but you want to have that information in the toolbox before you make the decision. Yeah, very good points. Um, One of the things that I know that you talk about with buyers right at the get-go, and I think it's extremely valuable, especially with a buyer who may be near their DTI ratios, right? Mm-hmm. Their debt to income ratios. Talk a little bit about having that conversation with buyers about careful what you buy. Don't go out and do this. Don't do that. And that's a really important conversation because I know that you have had buyers who have gone out and made a big purchase or gone out and leased a new car mm-hmm. only to find out they can no longer afford the home that they put an offer in on to purchase. I've had that happen. Um, but talk a little bit about that and the importance of that conversation up front and yeah. why a good lender has that conversation with oh, a buyer. Gosh, John, you talk about remorse that can come into a transaction. You know, The ultimate remorse is if you can't get the home that you wanted to purchase because of some other activity. And and it is a challenge, and we do try to coach folks on what to do and what not to do. But we're, we're talking about people that are in a very, very busy stage of their life when they're looking at the purchase of a home. And, and there are things that kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, are across purposes. Um, we're instructing home buyers, uh, hey, put those credit cards in the freezer, don't touch them, don't open new accounts, don't spend this, don't do that. 
And at the same time, they're home buyers. They've got a change in life going on and they may need furniture. They may need to buy that, you know, 15 gallons of paint and they may need to get that new countertop for the bathroom or whatever. So, so it, it's not always a frivolous decision. It's a home buyer thinking, Hey, I'm going to be living in this home in 60 days. I got to have this, this and this. And so, uh, you, the best thing to do is just to have open dialogue with your lender about what, what, what your plans are and what you need to accomplish. Um, you know, the solicitations are very enticing. I mean, if you go into Home Depot and you find Find out that you can get those uh, those super cool uh, you know California closet type setups, and you can do it for zero percent financing. And you're a new home buyer or a potential new home buyer. That really sounds intriguing. Um, but the reality is, you've now taken on a new debt. Taken on a new debt, and and that can absolutely change the scope of things, especially if you're very close to qualifying limits. So the sage advice here is: if you're getting ready to buy a home, don't buy anything <laughs> or lease anything uh, you know yeah. expensive because it could upset your debt to income ratio and how many times do lenders pull credit during a transaction that that's a great question you know so it, it it's 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 a it's an answer that's got a couple layers and so ideally we pull it once but what happens is that what we're required to do uh, throughout the lifespan of a loan process is we have a monitoring piece that's running in the background. So we may only pull that credit report once and the scores are great, the debts are in line with what the expectations were. But if you then um, uh, go to the car dealership and they ping your credit because you're shopping for a new car – or again, you go into Home Depot and you apply for that zero so interest credit. you don't even credit. have to lease or buy a car. You just by showing up there and giving them your credit to run, right. that's a ding. So here's what happens. So it, it's, it's, it's a flag, I guess is the best way to describe it. Okay. So, so it, what happens on our end when we're processing a loan is we get that alert. Say, this person has checked into obtaining credit. And so now the conversation starts. We have to reach out to that potential home buyer and say, Throw us a bone here. What's going on? And they might say, you know what? I was just checking. I, I bought nothing. And we're going to ask them to put that in writing and that's going to be included in the file. If they did buy something and sometimes it's just unavoidable. If your lease is ending and you got to get that replacement car, you got to get to work. We want you to go to work. You're applying for a mortgage. Um, we need to have that conversation. So if that alert pops up and we see, hey, there was an inquiry into credit and the home buyer says, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, great deal at Art Van or had to hit the car dealership or whatever. It may not be a deal killer, but you're going to have some work to do. We have to have the information on that new financing. What's that new debt going to be? What's the monthly payment? And hopefully it'll be a monthly payment that's not going to upset the loan approval. It will come up even without us pulling another credit report. Okay. So really, wait. Please. Until after you, you close <laughs> yeah. on the house. That means you've signed your loan docs and it's closed. Then go ahead and open that credit card account right. or if you need to, lease that new vehicle. But Or go to the uh, Gardner White and buy <laughs> – Is Gardner White still around? I they don't are. know. Yeah. And, and get that new bedroom set for that nice big master suite you have. Yeah, and you know what? Because because here's the other reality: the, the 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 killer deals that are advertised as you're getting ready to do, they don't go away, right? I mean, the the the, the commercials for the um, you know the the discounted furniture, the great offer of the car dealership, they really happen all the time, don't they? It, it's yeah. never a once in a lifetime offer. So to your <laughs> point, right. John, 
tap the brakes, put that purchase on hold. Let's get you closed. Keep things smooth. Avoid turbulence in your transaction, and uh, you 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 will be thankful that you did. Yeah, and that's that's actually great advice, and it's one way to avoid that turbulence mm-hmm. is by having that discussion up front. Uh, and that's one of the things that that we try to do is educate our buyers to avoid things like that. Okay. Moving on to uh, number three in our uh, tips for millennial buyers to avoid remorse. Mm-hmm. And that's repairs, maintenance, and upkeep. And this was probably the biggest one uh, numbers-wise. It was, it was probably the highest rated. And so not anticipating or not expecting – uh, certain repairs that maybe you should have been. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the unexpected that always comes up with home maintenance. So, you know, one of the things that I, I think we that we all kind of love is a, a yard for ourselves and um, and maybe a home as wonderful curb appeal sure. and uh, and great landscaping. And I guess what should be going through our mind is, how much am I going to have to spend or how much time is required on my behalf to keep it as nice as it looks, to keep that lawn cut? Um, so thinking about maintenance for the house is one of the things that should be going through our minds as we're approaching a house, as we're walking the grounds. Um, what do I need here besides a lawnmower? Do I need hedge trimmers? Do sure. I need all these extra things that you don't think about when you buy a house? Lawnmower you think about. Okay, I got grass, got to cut it. Mm-hmm. But the hedge trimmers and the edgers and the and the uh, uh, you know the, the the trimmers for the grass along the edges, the edging, sure. all that stuff adds up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll chime in on something there. You know, when we're tying this to remorse, if a home buyer buys that home and now they've got a you know they they bought all those uh, large yard equipment like you're talking about, or maybe they had to replace an air conditioner or do some kind of repair, and yeah. they're thinking. You know what? If I was a renter, this would have never happened. But here's the reality of it. Uh, when you are a renter, the landlord doesn't do those things for free. So the amount of rent that you're paying is tied to his maintenance cost and his upkeep costs as well. So all you're doing is paying a different individual and, uh, and, and, and you know, it's not a free ride by saying, gee, if I were a tenant – these costs are are things that I wouldn't incur. Maybe you don't incur it as a as a uh, you know a one time hit that's unexpected, but they are in your rent. You know, landlords are not in business for charity. You know, they're they're going to do this for for business reasons, and so those costs are there. And uh, that the the other side of the coin, though, uh, to maybe help somebody feel better who is feeling some remorse, is that when you when you pay for those repairs uh, and and maintenance items. You're going to reap a benefit down the road. You know, you're doing the proper upkeep and maintenance to a home that, when you ultimately go to sell it, uh, you're going to benefit from that because you took care took care of the home properly. When you're a tenant, the same benefit happens. It just happens for the landlord. Yeah, and let's be honest too. Uh, landlord isn't going to put in the nicest heating or air <laughs> conditioning system. It's typically going to be the lower end. Um, which mm-hmm. generally means it doesn't do a great job heating or cooling the house. Sure, contractor um, grade stuff, right? It, it contractor mm-hmm. grade stuff, or the the company, the landscaping company that's hired to come out and and cut your grass. Uh, boy, they just do a run through on those on those riders, and um, mm-hmm. no real care taken. So the grass usually doesn't look that great. The the landscaping doesn't look uh, like anything in particular right. um, when you're living in a in a rental home. Right. So really. 
No pride of ownership. And I think that's one of the things that um, when you own your home that really comes with it is if you really like the home that you bought, you really have a pride of ownership in it and the things that you do to it. So is there added expense to that? Sure. But it's yours. And that all comes back in appreciation of value down the road when and if you decide to sell that home. Uh, I'm just going to back up a a second because we were – uh, in talking about repairs and maintenance, I think really it starts figuring out what you're kind of looking at once you own that home with the inspection, with the home inspection. That's really sure. where it kind of starts and you get a solid idea of what maybe you're going to need to spend money on. Uh, and in particular, you know, um, furnace, air conditioner, how old are they? What condition are they in? How are they running? How are they functioning? Hot water heater, same thing. Plumbing or electrical issues. Those are all things that a home inspector can make you aware of. Um, and those are – and foundation. Sure. And those are typically your big ticket items and that's what everybody's most concerned about, mm-hmm. right? Roof, the other um, – and, and most home inspectors are pretty good about giving you an idea of the age of the roof, what its lifespan is, and kind yeah. of where it is in that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's any um, areas where you're going to have to pay attention, like typically around a chimney, right? Flashing becomes an issue. So sometimes you got to add some, some mastic up there to keep sure. it from being exposed to the weather elements. Um, so it's one of the reasons that having a good inspector at the front end is really important because it gives you that confidence going forward um, that at least the four or five majors are are not going to be a problem. And of course, the other thing um, that is usually not seen or spotted, mold. Oh, good point. Right. right. And where does mold typically happen in a home, basement Mm -hmm. or attic? And unless you're a small guy like you, Tony, and, and I'm not, I'm a pretty big guy. Uh, I am not climbing up into the attic. Yeah. The inspector will do that. If you're a, if you're a pretty, um, pretty determined buyer and you want to get up there and look at the attic, mm-hmm. um, hey, by all means. But um, usually the, we leave that for the inspector to do, to crawl up there, check the level of insulation in there, um, and look for any evidence of water, past, present, um, and mold. Yeah, uh, and that's boy, that's just a breeding a breeding ground up there for for that, and in the basement as well. So those are those are a couple things that if you don't have those issues, you got some confidence, right, right. moving forward with the purchase. Yeah, you know, a home inspector can you know on the topic of, of buyer remorse, you know, that that good home inspector can just go a long way. You know, we'll, we'll hear people talk sometimes about uh, uh, what's the cost right now for a home inspector, John to. To do a single family home? Most of them charge by the square foot. Okay. So the larger the home, the more expensive the home inspection. But let's just take your typical Warren three bedroom, one bath ranch, brick ranch. It's probably anywhere between twelve and fifteen hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. You're probably looking anywhere from two seventy five to three twenty five. When I hear less than that, I get concerned <laughs> because sure. it, if they're charging you a two hundred or two twenty five mm-hmm. for somewhere in that square footage. It's sometimes a little bit of a red flag from an inspector. It makes me wonder, is this is this person newer right. that they're charging so little or are they sending the new buck out to do the home inspection? Sure. Um, 
And and on the other side of that as well, if they're four, five, six hundred dollars mm-hmm. for an inspection, that's just outrageous. Sure. I, I would never encourage a client to pay that. But also, I, I also keep in mind too that maybe there are some things that this buyer wants for peace of mind. For instance, a radon inspection. Mm, okay. Sometimes we don't think about that, but maybe you want a radon inspection just for your own peace of mind that there isn't radon actively emitting in the basement. And yeah. those radon mitigation systems are pretty simple to install. Companies do them. They're not that expensive. But honestly, don't really see that as an issue unless a home typically has a sump pump. Sure. And and only yeah. in certain areas do we see more of a prevalence of radon. So that's another add-on that you as a home buyer could do to maybe help avoid buyer remorse. It's it's pretty it's actually pretty amazing to me that we've been in uh homes where um the radon is active and has a high count, and so you know that mitigation is needed. And I've got the buyer on uh, that I'm representing, and I, I think to myself, God, did the seller know this oh, when point. they bought the home, yeah. or have they just been living with it like this for the number of years that they've been here? Wow, yeah. um, and especially in a finished basement, that's even more, uh, even more so, a little scary because sure. you know that's. That's a leading cause of cancer. Yeah, and they're spending more time down there when it's and, a finished yeah, basement, right? Yeah, that's right. You're spending yeah. more time and down there. And it's, uh, you know, again, you know, when we're, when we're t- thinking about the theme of remorse, you know, the existence of radon doesn't necessarily mean it's a faulty home. Radon naturally occurs, and, it, and it's something yeah. that is prevalent here in Southeast Michigan. It's not so much uh, dismissing a home because it exists. It's taking the right steps to make the cure. And it just goes back to, you know, that cost, that inspection – Money so well spent to uh, to educate the home buyer and avoid that remorse later on. Uh, a good inspector will not only po- point out the flaws, but they'll talk about you know the kind of maintenance that's required. Maybe it's for a specific kind of furnace, or 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 maybe it's a cedar sided home that needs unique uh, care or something like that. Uh, the more you know, the less likelihood that remorse is going to come into your world. Yeah, and and one of the things too that I think sometimes buyers dismiss is the garage, right? Mm. The presence of the garage and the condition of the garage. Um, The garage is usually the neglected middle child, (laughs) typically with a house. When a home needs a new roof and the garage typically has the same age roof, they kind of skip the garage, do the house, and just kind of let the garage roof do its thing, just slowly (laughs) um, uh, disintegrate. Um, So I see that a lot. Also, a lot of times where the uh, the decking, the roof decking is older and and splitting and deteriorating. And sometimes what happens is the sides and the roof don't match up. So you've got gaps mm, yeah. and what you have there is an invitation for birds and rodents to come in and make the garage inside their home. Good point. See that yeah. quite a bit. Um, so – I think the garage is some sometimes something that that buyers overlook and just say, "Well, it's a garage. I'm just putting my car in there anyways. Right, what do I right. care?" Mm-hmm. But in the end, that's probably where your snowblower will go if you get one, your lawnmower, your lawn care equipment, maybe some items that you don't want to keep in the house like the Christmas tree and some other things right. that you bring out at certain times of year. So these are all important considerations and and the garage I think is one of them that sometimes we just kind of gloss over and say, "Ah, 
It's just a garage. No, that's cares? a good point. And you know what? There, there's, there's in most cases, electrical service going out to the garage. And so when you're thinking in terms of hazards, uh, you know, that's something that you want that inspector to take a good look at as well. You know, just because it's not a living space that you're spending a great deal of time on, you want them to look for the same things. Is the wiring faulty? Do they have the, you know, the, the proper covers on junction boxes and what have you? And, and, uh, you, you, you characterized it right as far as the, the forgotten part of the home that doesn't get the same love and attention. So. You know, our next item, John, I get to beg off. You've got the hard part here. Number four is bad location and neighborhood. So uh, as a lender, I have the easy part on that one. You're the one that has to <laughs> kind of shepherd the home buyer through those decisions to avoid remorse. Yeah. And and this is always a, a tricky one because as as realtors, we have to be careful of not steering buyers mm-hmm, sure. into certain areas. So – when a client asks, do I want to live in this neighborhood based on what I've told you? Is this an area that I want to live? My response is, well, is it an area you want to live? Right, yeah. You tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you if this is an area that you want to live. Tell me about what you're looking for in an area. There's areas to do research. We have a conversation uh, about – where they want to live and what they're looking for. Most of the buyers that I that I work with that are new parents or um, the home that they're going to buy may be that forever home and schools are mm-hmm. one of the things that they take into consideration. I encourage them to do that research because there may be certain things some parents are looking for, like a, a strong STEM program. Is there a STEM program sure. offered through the school system? Mm-hmm. Maybe one school system offers it and the other one doesn't. Maybe they're looking for a school system where if you live in that city limits, you could possibly send your children to an international academy. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe it's – do they have good sports programs? Uh, for the children that are that are uh, diverse and a many number of programs for um, their children to be involved in hockey, lacrosse, um, and some of these other things that you don't find at every school because they just don't have the money. Sure, yeah. and so those are those are some considerations. That's why I encourage parents or potential parents to take that into consideration when they're considering what school district maybe they want to live in. Um, and there are others that maybe have a special needs child mm-hmm. and have done their research and figure out that, okay, this is the school we want to send our kids to, this elementary, which feeds to this junior high and goes to this high school. And I know that they have a fantastic program for, for my child who's special needs. And that's really important to me. So here are our boundaries of where we're willing to buy a house between this, 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 and this. And so it's a very limited search. But you know what? When that house comes up for sale, they'll know it, and they'll know that they can. They, they'll know that that's the the one that they want. Right. You know what I mean? You know, John, I was I was I was half joking when I said you have the hard part when uh, when it comes to a buyer avoiding remorse when it comes to number four bad location or bad neighborhood. It's really the buyer that's got the hard part. Uh, you nailed it. They have to make the decision if it's the right community uh, for them. Um, you can provide facts about the community, but uh, that that's a very very subjective choice. 
and uh, and I'll just put it out there. You know, I, I know you never do this, and and no good realtor will. You can't get into anything that would smack of of discriminatory conversation about the makeup of a neighborhood. So, Mister and Missus Buyer, that's just hands off. You've got to make that decision when it comes time to uh, deciding what's important to you in a given community. You know, John, I know you are always loaded with the facts and particulars and the stats about a community, uh, but that subjective part it's really got to come from the buyer. You know, do you? be a little selfish about it, you know, take it seriously as a buyer and, and make a decision that, you know, you can live with. Yeah. And, and so, um, just to piggyback a little bit on that facts and figures and information, honestly, I, I really don't provide, okay. I, I can point them in the direction that they probably want to go, but those things can be subjective too, right? Because yeah, one thing, one statistic may look good to one buyer and totally different to another buyer. So um, I definitely provide the information to point you in the direction to find that information, uh-huh. but I don't provide that information. Okay. Um, it, it's a slippery slope, it you is. know, yeah. once you, once you yep. start going down that. Um, but I think what I really encourage buyers to do, which is more important, is if you're interested in a community um, and you're thinking about living there or a neighborhood per se – Spend time there. Yeah. Spend time browsing the the retail stores, the the shopping centers. Drive around. What's the activity like? What's the what's the pedestrian uh, uh, activity like there? Um, go in and eat in some of the local restaurants. Sure. Stop into one of the local lounges or pubs and and maybe have a drink if that's your thing. Um, Go to that local Kroger or Meyer or local store and and buy some things out of there and just hang out and check who comes in and out um, just to get a feel for whether or not it's a good fit for you. Yeah, John, would it be relevant for a buyer to not only do what you're saying but also to do it at dis- different times of the day and different times of the week? And 100%. What, what they see at noon on a Tuesday may be very different than what they see at uh, 8 p.m. on a Saturday. Yeah, and I've had buyers do this. That's that's a great, great point. I've had buyers do that where they may go on a Saturday afternoon and spend the afternoon in the area that they're thinking about buying, mm-hmm. just walking around, maybe eat lunch there, maybe eat dinner there. Um, and then maybe on a Friday night after six o'clock, they'll park their car uh, on a street that maybe they're, they've got a home that they put an offer in on or they want to put an offer in on. And they'll sit at the end of the street and just watch the traffic sure. come through, the car traffic. Is, is this street a main thoroughfare cut through when traffic gets bad off right. the main road? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the things that you definitely want to be cognizant of, especially if you're going to have small children or dogs. Um, yeah. You don't want to be on a busy, busy street having cars race up and down it. Uh, and so I encourage that during the week. In the morning, if you can, and in the evening, it sounds like a lot, but I think it's really important. It gives you it gives you as a buyer a real good flavor of the neighborhood and what you can expect, and so it's one of the ways that you can really avoid any type of remorse for where you bought. Yeah, you know, and it's, that sure ties in with number one, doesn't it? Uh, where we were talking about buying homes with pictures or video or based on pictures and video. You know, you don't get that feel for what's going on, uh, as you pointed out externally and at different times of the day. And you, you just got to do it. It's, it's, it's tough homework, but this is going to be your home. It, it, it warrants that type of research. Absolutely. And, and some of the other things to take into consideration when you find that house that you want, 
besides doing what we just mentioned. One of the things I would also encourage you as a buyer to think about and look at is how is the street kept up? How are the neighbors maintaining their house behind you, on either side of you, across the street, down the block? Every street has those houses where it's it's the house with the long grass sure. or mm-hmm. the overgrown shrubs in front of the home or mm-hmm. the the roof that looks like it needs to be replaced and it's it's holding on for dear life all the shingles are <laughs> holding on for dear life yeah. so that they don't leak those are those are things to really think about um what vehicles are on the street yeah mm-hmm. are they beaters and it's okay if somebody drives an older car mm-hmm. but you want to know you want to know you want to know and um, really one of the things too is either on a Friday night or a Saturday night after 9 o'clock, sure. park your car and see what kind of activity happens between 9 and midnight mm-hmm. on the street. And I think if you do all these things, I really think they'll help you avoid having that remorse of, God, this is just – this house was just in a terrible right. location or the, the neighborhood is just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, look, you can't always pick your neighbors, but you sure can be informed about who they are before you actually pull the trigger Definitely. to buy the home. Mm-hmm. Number five on our, uh, on our list uh, for our tips for millennials, buyers, avoiding remorse is to avoid a poor investment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's uh, uh, again when when you're feeling bad about your choice, that's an easy one to to throw on the list. Oh, I bought this home; it was a poor investment. Um, chances are, it probably is not. Now, there, there's always going to be one-offs, and there's no guarantee about what can happen with the value of a home. But um, uh, you know, it, it's it's not the kind of thing where you're going to see payouts monthly or yearly. This is a long-term investment. And equally important, though, it's your home. You're, you're buying it more than just for investment reasons. Um, you know, one of the the interesting stats that was just put out by Housing Wire uh, indicated that the average homeowner in the last year gained ninety seven hundred dollars in equity. Ninety seven hundred dollars in equity. And and if you're gonna if if you're gonna you have to pay to live someplace. You just have to. And so if you were to say, well, you know what, it's just not giving me the return that I want. But if you're paying to rent. Would you be renting and be able to bank ninety seven hundred dollars during that same year? I think it'd be very challenging for most people to do so. I agree a hundred percent. And it really, I think, what it boils down to is our discussion last week when we were talking about the type of home that you're buying. Are you buying right. a starter home or are you buying a forever home? Yep. And I think if you make that distinction and figure out exactly what you're trying to do. I really think it's one way to avoid feeling this, uh, oh, my God, it was a poor investment remorse. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're paying monthly to live someplace. It's who, whose investment are you enhancing? Are you enhancing your own or are you enhancing a landlord's? That's right. Are you paying your mortgage or the landlord's? Right, That's right. right. Uh, number six on our list uh, that was uh, for, for millennials to avoid remorse um, – Avoid the home that didn't fit my lifestyle or I bought a home that was too big or the home's too small. It doesn't fit what, what, I, what I want. And, and I think this really goes back to something that we mentioned uh, last week, which was really sitting down with a buyer and figuring out their wants and needs. Right. I know you do this when you sit down with a buyer, mm-hmm. figuring out their goals and what they're looking for. And a real good realtor 
we'll do that too with a buyer is let's figure out your wants versus your needs. Let's mm-hmm. focus on the needs. And if some of the wants get in there, great. But let's not sacrifice. Let's say you wanted a got to have a three car garage because you have your car, your wife's car, and then you've got the the sidecar that you love <laughs> to have fun with in the yeah. summer. Mm-hmm. And somehow finding a three car garage becomes a challenge. And so you say, well, I'll just settle for a two car. I'll buy a storage place, keep that car. You're not going to be happy if that's what you really wanted. So it's really figuring those things out and having a realtor that will say, now, wait a second. You really said this was one of your your needs in the house you were looking for. I I really think you should reconsider this because the last thing I want as your realtor is for you to – Call me in a year and say, you know what? This is a mistake. We really need to sell this house because it's not good investment advice to do that. Yeah, John, that, that's that's great advice. And one of the things that you do so well is that you stay objective uh, with buyers during a very emotional piece, you know, especially last year when the market was so tight with inventory and there were not a lot of choices. I think a lot of buyers were, were inclined to compromise and they made choices that were not necessarily in the best interest because there weren't a lot of choices out there. And I know you help people kind of tap the brakes in that situation and say, wait a minute, let's truly focus on what you were looking for. Let's go back to that original conversation and not just buy to buy because you will be unhappy if you do that. Yeah. And one of the other things that I thought of was uh, you, you kind of feel like this was a poor uh, or you it didn't fit the kind of lifestyle uh, or it was too big or small is um, – you know, you think you're actually a handier person than you are. <laughs> I could, I could tear out yeah. that kitchen and update it myself. That's mm-hmm. no problem. And nobody wants to live in a construction right. zone for six mm-hmm. months or a year. And it's, it's no good, no bueno. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one on our list here is um, feeling that your realtor, your lender, didn't provide you sufficient education yeah. about the home or the area. Uh, and that's a boy. That's a big remorse. You don't know how many people I come across that buy their home that are really uh, said, "Well, yeah, we we just did this, and we went to here and uh, put in an offer on the house, and uh, yeah, we got the house." Uh, and yeah. and really don't know much about the entire process as you're going through it. What different things mean? Different running scenarios, mm-hmm. um, and, and talking about them, and and so. Sometimes what happens that I hear a lot from from buyers after they bought a home is, yeah, we we put the offer in and um, I saw my realtor at the inspection and then um, at closing. And, uh, you know, there was an issue and I didn't hear from him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to the title company, to the lender, but didn't hear from my realtor and and saw him at the closing table. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. They they really didn't do much of anything. Um, hear that a lot. And yeah. so that that's real disappointing for me to hear because really we're, we're helping people make the largest purchase of their life and to be involved with them through the whole process. If things are going great and you're not hearing from me, mm-hmm. man, that's a great sign that things are on track. But when things pop up and we hit some turbulence and some issues arise, that's not the time to disappear. That's the time to, hey, this is what looks like it's coming down the pike just to make you prepared that we've, we've got to be ready for this. Here's the actions we're going to take to get around this so that we can get to the closing table. And and I think that that's, that's real important to um, to provide to our clients. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, you're getting ready to spend an awful lot of money. You deserve to have that guidance and, and consultive approach and uh, make it happen right so you don't have that remorse and you don't have the turbulence in the in the transaction. 
Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well, I think we've talked about seven good things that I, I really feel that if you're if you're a buyer out there, this, these are ways to avoid these uh, these issues of remorse after you've purchased a home. Um, I, I really feel like just having these tools in your toolbox when you're looking to purchase a home um, and, and thinking about these things, but also having a lender and a and an agent realtor remind you of these things as you're going sure. really helps avoid this and and makes your home purchase something that you're really proud of and a good investment for you. Absolutely. So with that, thank you so much for listening to our podcast uh, and our tips for millennial buyers buyers, buyers to avoid remorse. My name is John Lafferty. I'm with Century 21 Town & Country. You can reach me at 248-652-8000 or by email at myrealestatepilot at gmail.com. And this is Tony Abate with Ross Mortgage. You can reach me at 248-821-5411 or email me at T-A-B-A-T-E at RossMortgage.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening.